Acts 4. Uh, the Nigerian city of Jos sits on Africa's fault line between the Muslim north and the Christian south of Africa, and because of its location, it's faced some terrible things in recent years. One Nigerian Baptist church was attacked by Muslim jihadists who burned down the church and the house of the church's leader, Pastor Sumna, or Sunday Gomna, on the second Sunday after the violent outbreak, when the people of that Baptist church returned to worship, they gathered in a little mud wall community center about a mile from the burnt-out church. Pastor Sunday stood up and, and offered words, words of, words of, well, what do you say to your congregation after your church has been burned down and your house has been burned down? The pastor offered words of gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. Uh, here's what he said. He said, first of all, I'm grateful that no one in our church killed anybody. Apparently, during the chaos of the attacks, Pastor Sunday had gone around the community, and, and some of the Muslim people in the community said, Pastor, thank you for the way you have taught your people. Your people help protect us. So Pastor Sunday was proud that his people did not kill any Muslims. Secondly, he said, I am grateful that they did not burn my church. Now, everyone looked at the pastor with some measure of disbelief at that point. After all, they were meeting in a small, uncomfortable uh, mud hut. But Pastor Sunday continued, Inasmuch as no church member died during this crisis, they did not burn our church. They only burned the building. <laughs> uh, he continued, Thirdly, I am grateful that they burned my house as well. Uh, he says, if they had burned your house and not my house, how would I have known to serve you as pastor? However, because they burned my house and all my possessions, I know what you are experiencing, and I will be able to be a better pastor. So I'm grateful that they burned my house as well. <laughs> this is how the church of Jesus Christ has survived, and in many cases even grown in the face of, of hostility and opposition that began as early or as soon as the church did and continues in our day. So we began last fall a series of messages on the book of Acts, themes from Acts. I have sought to isolate the major themes that are covered again and again in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. We looked at wonderful subjects like the establishment and the ordering of the church, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the message that was proclaimed by the apostles, miracles, the life of the apostle Paul, the advance of the gospel beyond cultural and racial, racial barriers. And our final theme... We began two weeks ago, last time I was with you, and that theme is persecution. We saw how the preaching of the gospel is opposed from the very beginning, how the apostles were threatened and jailed and some of them were killed, how the church planting missionaries were met with violence and slander, mostly by Jews, but eventually also by the Gentiles. And then we went on to consider why so many feel the need to shut up the Christians and I think this is important for us in our day of increasing opposition to the church in the West. We see how unbelievers feel threatened by the church and her message because they fear losing their wealth, losing their power, and most importantly, their self-righteousness or self-regard. Our lives, our message 
can stir up what is left of their consciences, deprive them of emotional comforts, and expose the emptiness of their lives as well as their arguments. In response, some will run to Jesus for salvation, but many simply scream at us to shut up. Cancel culture, as we experience it in 2021, is closely tied to this very phenomenon. So that was two Sundays back. Check the message, uh, message online if you happen to miss that uh, particular Sunday. But today we want to focus on the response of the believers and the purposes of God in our persecution. We look at how our Christian fathers and mothers reacted to the severe opposition that they encountered and why our sovereign Lord would allow us to experience such trials in this life. And we start with the response of the church to the persecutions. On this, I offer five observations. First, the church responded with faithfulness. With faithfulness. Faithfulness to her Lord. And and I am uh, tempted to say she responded with civil disobedience because that is what faithfulness sometimes requires, and it did for them in the early days of the church, for Peter and the apostles. It may at times for us as well. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, having healed a lame man at the beautiful gate and proclaimed Jesus in Jerusalem to the, great, to, to the gathered crowd uh, after the incredible miracle that had occurred, Peter and John are hauled in before the Jewish court, known as the Sanhedrin, where they are threatened and ordered not to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. So we come to verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The Jewish judges let them go. In this occasion, out of fear of the crowd that had just witnessed the miracle. But do you get what the apostles are saying here? I think they said it respectfully, but I expect as well it came from a, a place of deep conviction. We have no intention of stopping. We are a people under orders from a higher court. We answer to the king of kings. Don't you love that? Of course, uh, of the responses to persecution, we had to start with this particular one because without this one, the others would have never come to pass. Uh, Of course, the church would never have made it to 2021 or even by that matter to 101 AD. The persecution continued and it grew because the church did not buckle under, did not choose the way of fear, did not cower and betray her Lord. She kept right on, which is why one chapter later, Peter is back in jail and again appears before the council where he is threatened once more. But again, Peter states the position of the church in chapter four, verse, chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. Read that with me. We must obey God rather than men. Now, one of the great debates that uh, believers have had with each other over the centuries is when we must take a stand against the civil authorities. The New Testament tells us to honor the king, to pay our taxes, to be subject to the authority of the state. But clear enough, we see at times, at times, loyalty to our Christ requires us to go another way, requires us to stand against the civil authorities. The New Testament tells us, again, to honor the king and all all of that. 
But when is it that we say, no, at this point we have to stand against and go a different way than what our authorities are telling us? When to do that, how to do that, is often extremely hard to say, and sincere believers can have, do, disagree. In Canada right now, I don't know if you're aware, there's a pastor in Canada who is in jail, plans to be there several months because he believed that God, faithfulness to God, meant that he gathered his congregation for worship, even though in Canada you're not allowed to have more than 15 people at a gathering. His church met anyway. He's now in jail in our neighboring country to the north. But for Peter, the issues were, were painfully simple. Jesus said to be witnesses in Jerusalem. So threaten us, beat us, kill us, we will follow him. When God says, go that way, and the governor or the society say, go that way, which way do we go? We go the Jesus way, and we prepare to pray, pay whatever the price may be for doing so. For Christians in the United States, faithfulness to Jesus, which is also, by the way, loyalty to his teaching, it may mean losing jobs. We may get shunned by friends, by clients. We may have our churches and our businesses boycotted, canceled, kicked off of various platforms. We may have the tax-exempt statuses removed. We, we may have them opposed if we, if we do not repeat the lies that they demand we repeat, if we do not accept the popular delusions. If we insist on speaking truth when distortions and nonsense become the order of the day, there may be a price to pay. It's happening now for some of us, and unless the winds of culture change quickly, it will affect you sooner or later. The commitment that we must make is to faithfulness, to integrity, to honesty, and to our master. We might lose everything in the world, but we will cling to Jesus. And hey, he is enough. Second way the church responded to persecution, this is my favorite, they rejoiced. This may, this may be my favorite verse in all of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. Well, we'll get to the favorite verse, but this is the context. Acts 5, 40. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Now, flogging is a serious punishment that would have left them bloody and battered. Nevertheless, we read these next two wonderful verses. Verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, doing what? rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. <laughs> and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. If you were in Gary Laird's Sunday School class on Pilgrim's Progress, we talked about John Bunyan, the author of that great work. This was his story, wasn't it, Gary? He preached Jesus. He got thrown in jail. For 12 and a half years, he was in jail. And they released him, and guess what he went back doing? <laughs> he went back preaching Jesus. Three years later, he got thrown in jail again. But this time for only two years. 
<laughs> but that's the way the apostles operated as well. So the civil disobedience counted, uh, continued, but I, I just love it that they rejoiced that they got to suffer for Jesus. How awesome is that? Our memory verse last month was Matthew 5 and verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And so they did. They rejoiced and they were glad just like Pastor Sunday did from Nigeria. The purpose of persecution is to suck all of that Christian joy out of you. They want to discourage you. They want you to shut up and shut down. But Tertullian, an apologist for the church in the second century, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. As Christians stood before kings and before lions and before crosses, without denying Christ, and they sang their way through the agonies and into glory, the watching world were stirred to wonder, what is going on here? So that despite the terror and despite the slander, the Jesus people, in some respects, took over the world. So as a little application to us, when we experience the soft persecutions that we may endure from that scoffing relative to the financial losses to the social media slanders, let's commit ourselves to cling to Jesus and out-rejoice our enemies. By this our Savior is glorified, and by this the devil is mightily frustrated, and we can delight in both of those things. So next we see the church responding to persecution with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Stephen has preached to a gathered crowd in Jerusalem when the mob called for his death. This is in chapter 7, verse 59. They stoned Stephen, or as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Seems like Stephen saw the Jesus movie, doesn't it? Or maybe he actually saw the crucifixion. Could have been that. Because what he does here, it's precisely what Jesus did, isn't it? Lord, receive my spirit. Forgive them. Forgive them. So when you and I endure persecutions of various degrees and various sorts, this is our example too. We don't react with hatred. We don't react with vengeance. We pity those who hurt us. And we pray for them that they might be granted to see the light. Forgiveness. Fourth response of the church to persecution. And this is going to sound a bit different. The fourth response is they ran away. They didn't run away from God's will, but they did from bodily harm. Really a more accurate way to put it is that the missionaries of the church facing persecution chose to move on. On this, the flesh and the spirit agree. You do not volunteer for martyrdom. You accept it if you must, but the Lord does not expect us to run towards persecution normally. In Acts chapter 11, Paul is in Damascus when the Jews there 
plot to kill him. So his new friends whisked him away to Jerusalem. He got to Jerusalem. The same thing happened there. So they shipped him off to Tarsus. Generally speaking, when the apostles went into a city and were greeted with stones and death threats, they shook off the dust of their sandals and went to the next town, willing to die, but called to preach. So they went to those places which allowed them that opportunity to preach. To summarize this point, you look at chapter 14, verse 5, which occurs in Iconium, and it says, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Fifth response to persecution. Was an appeal for justice. This becomes very prominent in the writings of the early church fathers in the second century of the church and beyond. Many of their writings argued for the protection of believers against persecution, but this started in the book of Acts with the apostle Paul, who had rights as a citizen of Rome. Now, you may remember that in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail in Philippi, uh, and they responded to that persecution with singing and with evangelism, and they won the jailer in Philippi to Christ, but then they were still in jail after they'd won the jail. <laughs> it's great to win your jailer to Jesus, but you're still in jail at, at that point. And we read this in chapter 16, verse 35, the next morning, the city official sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Pilate, or Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. You detect a little bit of an attitude <laughs> uh, in, in that. What is going on here? Paul and his men have been unjustly treated. The authorities apparently figured this out and wanted them to just go away quietly, sweep this under the rug and forget about it. But Paul decided to make an issue of it. Why? Jesus went to the cross without speaking in his defense. Should not Christians always do that when we are abused? Apparently not, and I can see good reason for the not. As fallen people, we have to establish these things we know of as governing authorities. But when we do, we must also hold those authorities to account for how they use their power. The judges in Philippi have misused their power, and Paul thinks it is a good idea to teach them a lesson, perhaps. Perhaps so they do not continue that kind of abuse of Christians. Paul had some clout most in the church did not have, and he decided to use it to push back for justice' sake. Verse 38. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. So they tried to intimidate Paul, but he had some leverage to intimidate them 
and he used it. We read this story in Acts 22. Paul is in Jerusalem doing his thing, meaning he's stirring up trouble with the gospel. His opponents incited a riot, which attracted a Roman commander. A Roman commander had Paul chained up and then interrogated, which Paul loved because when he was interrogated, it gave him a great opportunity to tell everybody about Christ. A few minutes into his testimony, the Jewish leaders that were listening in, they went berserk demanding that the Romans kill Paul as they had killed his master. So this commander brought Paul inside to torture the truth out of him. And then we read this, chapter 22, verse 25. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are we doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him to be bound and whipped. So his Romanness saved his life more than once. Paul was willing to use the leverage that gave him to stop injustice against himself and against the church. So is this the rule for every situation, for all Christians in all time, everywhere? No. But in certain cases, it is best for us for instance, us as Americans, to lean on our constitutional rights in order to protect our families, our ministries, and those of others that may be affected as well, to protect them from abusive governmental powers. Now, there is enough present-day persecution of Christians that there are nowadays numerous agencies that are devoted to the support and relief of persecuted Christians. That's their sole purpose. Some of these are American legal groups like Liberty Council, like the Alliance Defending Freedom, like the Beckett Fund, all of which are seeking to defend the rights of Christians in the United States. There's other groups like Voice of the Martyrs, International Christian Concern, Justice Fellowship, World Evangelical Alliance that strive to end the persecution of believers around the globe. Theirs is a noble cause because the problems they address are very, very real and trending in the wrong direction. Finally, now let's wrap up our study in this series by reminding ourselves that we have a sovereign God. He is the one who is building his church. He is the one who promises to be with us. He says all authority in heaven and earth is his. So we can be sure that any suffering that we experience is not without purpose and that the end of it is for our good and for God's glory. So three purposes, very briefly, to consider. First, God sends persecution to set the context for his deliverance. He rescued Peter from jail twice. He delivered Paul from his enemies many times, like he did with an earthquake there in, in Philippi. 
cool stuff. Sometimes the Lord delivers us from the persecution, but not always. Not always. Stephen died. James died. God is sovereign. God is good. Our fate is his choice. And we rest in that. Secondly, the Lord sends persecution to build up our strength. Now, I'm told that astronauts who, uh, who, who spend weeks at a time, maybe months, in low or no gravity situations, I'm told that when they come back to earth, their, their muscles have atrophied, right? No gravity means no resistance, and as a result, they, over time, grow weak. The opposition we encounter will make us, or it will break us. If we are truly His, that opposition will make us stronger. Thirdly, the Lord sends persecution to magnify His sufficiency. To magnify His sufficiency. I noted this earlier, that when the world sees us endure our pains with peace and with gladness, we bear witness to the sufficiency of Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. That's all I need. And so because of that, we outrejoice our enemies and so glorify our King. Two quotes to wrap up this message in our series on Acts. One from Clarence Jordan. He says, It is difficult to be indifferent to a wide-awake Christian, real, a real, live Son of God. It is even more difficult to be indifferent to a whole body of Christians. You can hate them or you can love them, but one thing is certain, you cannot ignore them. They confront you with an entirely different way of life, a new way of thinking, a changed set of values, and a higher standard of righteousness. In short, they face you with the kingdom of God on earth, and you have to accept it or reject it. There's no washing of hands. These people must be crowned or crucified, for they are either mighty right we're mighty wrong. James Russell Lowell, who lived through the Civil War, wrote this, Careless seems the great avenger. History's pages but record one death grapple in the darkness twixt old systems and the word. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these promises that are abundantly critical to us in our times of need and especially when we experience opposition. We thank you, Lord, that when you are for us, no one of any great significance can be against us because you are so much bigger and greater than they are. You are so much more worthy of our devotion and love than they are of our hostility and anxiety. So Father, we pray that these things that you purpose persecution to do would happen in our lives as we experience it. We think of brothers and sisters today in places like Nigeria, and ask God that indeed in those places, their, their persecution would be a context for your miraculous deliverance. 
And Lord, where it is not that, that it would build up the strength of your people. And Lord, in every situation, that your sufficiency, your greatness would be magnified as people witness our peace in the face of these difficulties. So God, as we step into our future, whatever it may hold for us in our schools and our workplaces, and maybe deal with the soft persecution that we might encounter in these weeks and months ahead, we pray that you prepare us to be like our brothers and sisters in the book of Acts, to respond with faithfulness and integrity to you. Holy Father, strengthen us individually. Strengthen us as a body of believers and prepare us for the day of trouble that may come our way. Even as we pray, God, that you would spare us. We don't desire that. We desire to live quiet and godly lives and and tranquil lives, and we pray that we might be privileged to do so. So move in our society. But Lord, if indeed it is your purpose that persecution make us strong, Enable us to follow our brothers and sisters in Acts 5 and rejoice when we are counted worthy to suffer for the name and the sake and with Jesus Christ. We pray in his good name. And all God's people said, amen.